Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our lesson together. God, we thank you so much for the time that we have to be in your presence this morning, for the songs that we've sung, uh, for the opportunity to gather together and take communion with one another, uh, to, to just take a pause from the busyness of our life and just come together at the foot of the cross this morning and remember the sacrifice of your son. We just thank you so much for that, God. We pray now that as we move into a, a period of, of conversation from your word, as we continue these thoughts on being holy and being set apart, that we will open up our hearts and our minds today, that we'll allow your spirit to move within us and to convict us, God, and to change us into a direction that brings us into a deeper and more holy relationship with you. Be with us. Please give us your thoughts today. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. So this is a very, very big and important weekend for a lot of people. Um, it's the 4th of July weekend. All the stuff to, to begin the, uh, the service was 4th of July themed, and, and we all have a very special connection, we feel like, to the day, uh, to, to the celebration of the day that uh, our nation was born. More so to me, it's about my brother. The 4th of July is his birthday, so uh, he just thought everybody celebrated his birthday, um, but we, we never wanted to bust that bubble to let him know that it really wasn't about him. So, um, But 4th of July, how many of you have good 4th of July plans or have had good plans this week and weekend, have done some fun things? Some of y'all need to have more fun in life, guys. Come on now. Um, Fourth of July. Let me ask you this way. How many of you are proud to be an American? That would, that would probably be all of us. Listen, if, um, if you've ever traveled outside of America, you are, you are greeted very quickly with the reality that what is normal for us is not normal for the rest of the world. What is freedom for us is not freedom to the rest of the world. What is just um, really in many ways the things that we kind of take for granted uh, within our country are things that other people around the world look at and they're so jealous of. And they want what we have so bad, especially as Christians, even though our, our country and our nation tends to be walking in a direction further away from God, even in that environment, we still have the freedom that if we so choose to worship like this together this morning and, and, and live a life of Christianity, we're protected uh, and are able to do that. We're able to teach the things that God wants us to teach. We're able to talk about those things without fear of, of real persecution. Now, I mean, the news might talk about us a little bit, and, and social media might talk about us a little bit, but we're not, facing the, um, we're not facing the persecution that Christians around the world face every day because of the fact that they simply proclaim 
their faith. We look at this idea of being an American as a badge of honor, very similar to the way that Paul looked at being a Roman citizen, right? Like he really, he really took his citizenship uh, as a Roman as as something that he was proud of, and 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 he used that citizenship at times to kind of get himself out of trouble and and let people know that that you know this. And he was a a born Roman citizen. He didn't have to buy that citizenship. He was just luckily born into it. Now, as you think about the sacrifices that were made, the the greatness of our country and of our citizenship as Americans, it is in uh, it is really in contrast to what God calls us to be. Interestingly enough, God never calls us to be an American, does he? God never calls us to be an American, but I believe there are some people, there are some people that would claim that being an American is maybe even more important to them than being a Christian. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look starting in verse 13, but what I want you to think about is maybe starting in uh, verse 1 of 1 Peter. Peter writes these words, says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. So who is he talking to? He's talking to the Christians. He's talking to those people that have chosen to follow God. He's talking about the body. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about God's favorite. That's another word that elect can be translated into as favorite, and I love that idea. It's a different sermon for a different day. So that's the first word he uses to describe them. But the next word he uses to describe them is exiles. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providences, and then he lists where they all are. One of the things that is talked about and that we see in Scripture over and over and over, and we see right here in this particular verse, and we're really going to see it as we get in to this passage that we're going to look at a little bit deeper today as we continue these thoughts and set apart, is that above everything else, we have to live as God's elect. We have to live as children, as people, as brothers and sisters in the kingdom. And as great as our country is, and as wonderful as it is to be an American, and as great of a privilege as it is to be born into this world, into this country at this time, we are called to be foreigners in this world. And sometimes that brings a contradiction in our, in our thought. Sometimes that brings a harsh reality. But the reality is, like I said, as, as America tends to be moving further and further and further away from God, and that's hard for some of us to grasp, that's hard for some of us to comprehend, because, you know, as I said, you know, the average age of our church, it seems like it's gotten younger but there's still many of you who are older who remember. You remember when this nation could truly be called a Christian nation, right? You remember that whether or not your neighbors went to church or not, you still lived by basically a Christ-centered set of morality. I remember, I don't remember when it was happening, but I remember watching things like I Love Lucy, 
And, and even though everybody knows that Lucy and Desi, you know that they're married, you know that you know, they live a married life, never once do you see the, in their bedroom they slip in what? Two separate twin beds. Because something like that, a, a husband and a wife, even sharing a bed, was not going to be something that they were going to show on TV. How many of you miss those days? How many of you miss the leave it to beaver top world that was once lived in this nation? And now it's, it took a hard left and we're getting further and further and further away. And the question becomes, as we talked the last couple of weeks about how we should live, how do we then respond as Christians? We got to live here, right? Anybody planning on moving away anytime soon? I don't think any of us are. How do we then live a set-apart life? How do we live a holy life in a world, in a society that is increasingly becoming unholy? I believe we find some of the answers here in the book of 1 Peter. Let's start in 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, it, and if y'all don't mind, follow along with me up there if y'all don't mind. I'll try to get my stuff going here in just a second. So starting in verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy." Here's the first thing that I want you to think about with me this morning, and that is this, to live in this culture, but to live as set apart, we must draw a bold line around holiness and refuse to cross it. Draw a bold line around holiness and refuse to cross it. And we talked about that a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but as children of God, as foreigners in this world, as exiles, we have to say, we are living by the standard of God. That is our standard. Nothing less. We are living by the standard of God. Now, as we've talked about over and over, and I've said this time and time again, holiness does not equal what? You remember? Holiness does not equal perfection. Say that with me. MJ's got it. Like She's on, she's on with me this morning. Say it with me. Holiness does not equal perfection. Let that, let that sink in. Let that drive home. When we're talking about being holy, we're not talking about being perfect. Are you ever going to be perfect? No. Am I ever going to be perfect? No. So let's quit, let's quit setting that bar and being upset when we don't reach it. Let's focus on being holy, being set apart, okay? So I've got this set of standards in my life, and I have to live by these standards. And he says, there's some ways that you do that. There's some ways that you do that. Some of your translations read a lot different in verse 13, doesn't it? My translation, the NIV starts out, says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. How many of yours says something different? 
I'm sure a lot of yours do. And it probably says something like this, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. How many of yours say something like that? What in the world does that mean? Any idea? Have you ever read something in the Bible? I have. And you're like, well, I know what it says, but I have no idea what that means. Get ready. This means get ready. But here's the idea. Here's the idea of what he's trying to say. It's the image here, and, and that's why there's the King James translates it maybe a little more literal, and the NIV kind of is trying to translate the thought a, a little more than the literal word for word. But what he's saying here, it's the imagery, it's the imagery of, say, I'm in bed and I've gotten up in the morning and I'm getting dressed to get ready for to get ready for the day. Pull up your britches and get ready. Okay? Get prepared, get dressed. Um you could even take it and we we can connect it to other things in scripture. Put on the armor and be prepared. Be ready for act. But it's this idea of move in a direction, set in your mind. If I'm going to draw a line of, of, of holiness, and this is my standard, and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to, to cross that line into sin, and I'm going to say, hey, look, this is, this is where I live. This is my sphere. I'm not going to let temptation grab me. I'm not going to live by the standards of the world. It's the standards of God. Then I've got to get up every day and put on my armor. I've got to get dressed and live prepared for those moments that it might be challenged. I've got to be ready. And the next step of that, though, he says, it's not just getting ready, not just putting on, not just putting on the wardrobe, Braves won the World Series last year, right? Last baseball season. Braves won the World Series. If they were playing in Atlanta, I had on my home Atlanta Braves jersey. If they were playing on the road, depending on what jersey they were wearing on the road, I either wore my blue jersey or my gray jersey. My dad's like, are you playing? Like, are you a part of this? Like, well, I'm dressed like it. You know, I'm dressed the part, but was I? No, I wasn't playing in the game. And some of us are guilty of that. We show up on Sunday, we dress the part, but we're not in the game. But he says, here, get in the game. Get dressed and then live a life of self-control. Okay, don't give in. Understand that this is where I've got to be and don't let other things control you. You try to control the things you can through God, through the Holy Spirit. And he says, do not conform. Don't let people push you in this direction or that direction. James talks about, you know, being pushed by the waves here and there and, and not knowing the direction in which you're going, okay? He says, be self-controlled. Do not conform. Okay, and, and this is something I think is so important because exile communities, the kingdom of God has to refuse assimilation. We have to refuse to look like the world. We have to refuse to let the we, we can't let the world slowly creep in and, and their, their standards become our standards. Because when we begin to compromise, when we begin to compromise, we will become extinct. I mean, there still may be a building here, and there still may be people that come and go to church. 
but the kingdom might not be present. When we start to let the world come in and dictate our morals and our standards, then we are going to become extinct as true children of God. And we see that happen. We see that happen in the book of Judges. It's it's one of the most powerful verses in the book of Judges. It says, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance in the hill country of Ephraim, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. What generation? The generation of David, I'm sorry, of Joshua. The generation that had seen all the great things that God had done. The the generation that knew God in in maybe a little more personal way, but the generation that should have really been instilling these things into the younger generation. Look at what it says. It says, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They compromised. They stepped out of that world of holiness. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In one generation, one generation, we went from crossing the Jordan River to the city of Jericho to conquering the promised land to I did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's why this is so important. So how do we live this? How do we we get, what what is our standard? Go to the the, the Philippians passage, if you don't mind. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Should be the next slide. I need to pull my controller up here. Paul says that there's a certain way in which you live. There's a certain standard. He says, finally, brothers, this is the holiness standard, okay? Take the things that's going on in your life, take the things that you're living and you're doing every single day and hold them up to this verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, read this with me. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things things. This is your standard. This is what you live by. You look at the things in your life and you go, okay, is this true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy? And if not, what do we have to do? We got to let go of it. We got to get it out of our life. Sometimes this may be a relationship. Sometimes this may be a relationship with a family member that I look at this relationship and I say, because of this relationship, it's keeping me from being lovely and it's making me do things that are not praiseworthy and and it's keeping me from living a life that I know is true. And when that happens, you know what's hard to do? It's hard to go, I can't be in this relationship anymore. Hey, mom, I love you, but I've got to live in holiness. I can't keep going down this rabbit hole with you. I can't keep living in a negative way. Hey, dad, hey, brother, hey, sister, however you want to put it. Hey, you know, I can't do this anymore. I've got to live for God. My best friend from high school, hey, I can't do this anymore. I've got to live for God. So we have to live by a holy standard. And, you know, we're able to do that. And this verse tells us back in First Peter, he tells us you can do this because of two things. Number one, understand you serve a holy God. 
Understand that God is holy. He is true. He promised you things. Man, He's promised you things. He's promised to be there. He's promised to give you power. He's promised to give you strength. And so you can do this, but you're going to do it through God, not on your own, but you're going to do it through God. And hey, this this world is not my home. But guess what? I have hope in something greater than this. One of my favorite passages comes a little bit later in 2 Peter. And really what makes me love it so much is the back end of it, the very last phrase of it. But he starts in verse 10 here. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, about a month and a half ago now, about, you know, what time is it? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? And we talked about how this is a positive thing. But when you read something like this, it gets kind of scary, doesn't it? But this is a positive thing. He goes on, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live what? Holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day, God, um, as you look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming, the day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, God's holy, right? He promises us things. We're going to get what he promises. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Look at this last phrase. Where what? Righteousness dwells. Let that sink in. Where righteousness dwells. This is Matthew's paraphrase here, okay? Where we get to go home. Where we get to go home. We have hope in eternity. How many of you love home? How many of you love home? Like, how many of you are just true homebodies? Of all my kids, really, Vance probably is the biggest homebody of all of our kids. I, I was a big homebody growing up. Um, not, I, mean, I mean, I love to be home now, but not, not, man, not like when I was little. I mean, like I would cry thinking I had to go to someone else's house. Um, I just wanted to be at home. There's just something about sleeping in your bed, something about cooking in your kitchen, something about you know, sitting in your living room. Like, we love home. And this promises us that while we may be foreigners here, while we may live in exile here, there is coming a time and a place that we get to look forward to. If we, if we commit ourselves to this holy standard of living, there's coming a time and place that God has promised us because He keeps His promises that He's going to take us where? Home. And I don't know about you, but that that makes me happy. That puts a smile on my face because that's got to be the greatest home that there ever has been and ever will be. We get to look forward to that as we live this life of holiness. All right, let's keep going very quickly. So a couple, just a couple of things I want to hit with you before we wrap this up. The next idea here is recognize the emptiness of paganism and worldliness. Let's pick up in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person impartially, live out your time, excuse me, as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. All right, let's back up to verse 18. Look at some of the word that he used here. For we know that it is not with perishable things, such as what? Gold or silver. Two of the most precious things in our world, right? Two of the most precious things in our world. If someone walks in and says, hey, I want to give you this bag of gold, how many of you got to jump on it? Take it. Anybody got to turn it down? Anybody. If you're going to turn it down, I'm next in line. I'll take it, okay? There's value in that in our, in our world. And, but what does God call this? He calls this a what? A perishable thing. A perishable thing. Some of you ladies, the most treasured things that you may be wearing in this room this morning are little round things on your fingers made of gold and silver. And many of you wouldn't take anything for them. But God calls them perishable. And then he goes on, he says, you were redeemed from the what? Empty way. A life here without Christ is what? Is empty. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you have, no matter how nice your house is, no matter how nice your car is, no matter how good your air conditioner works, it's empty. It's empty. So the first thing that I want you to understand around this idea is that there is emptiness in this world and living of the way of the world, all right? It doesn't really fill anything. Matter of fact, it creates more voids. We were talking about something in class this morning about this idea of judgment and how we approach other people from, from Matthew 18 where Jesus says, hey, when the brother has sinned, you go and you talk to them and you point out they're wrong. And we were talking about this dynamic and Riley made the point because if we're not careful in that situation, if we handle it the wrong way, we create more sin. And that's really what the world does, right? The world is good at just creating more sin. Does the world ever create holiness? Does the world apart from God ever create holiness? No, it's only going to create more sin. And so we have to understand there's emptiness in that. But here's the next step of that that I want you to understand that I think that we're, for those of you that grew up in the leave it to beaver world, okay? You've seen the world shift. You've seen our country shift. You've seen the dynamics go a different direction and you struggle with that. And I think there's a lot of people that are standing there going, well, why in the world are they doing that? We have to quit expecting the world to change. You following me? We have to quit expecting the world to change and become more like us. Because the world itself follows who? Satan. Every culture that's ever come up, every kingdom that's ever been established, any nation that's ever been established, eventually falls because of one thing, sin. The Roman Empire falls because of sin. The Egyptian Empire falls because of sin. And eventually, America will fall. Why? Because of sin. We have to quit being aggravated when the Disneys and the Netflix and, and all these different movie companies 
promote social agendas that we don't agree with. It's sin. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. But here's what we've got to do as exiles in the kingdom. We've got to create our own culture. I was talking to somebody um, at Lads to Leaders about this very idea, and he said, I've just kind of gotten tired of listening to people going, Disney ought to change and go back to the way they used to be. This group ought to change and go back to the way that they used to and quit pushing all these social agendas and this and that and the other. He says, as Christians, it's time for us to produce movies. It's time for us to write books. It's time for us to come up with music. He goes, quit waiting on the world to do our job. Quit waiting on the world to do your job as a Christian because they never will. Because they're full of emptiness. Instead, as exiles, we have to create a culture of love. We have to create a culture that's centered on God. And so that we're not going to convert the whole world, but we can convert people within the world and bring them into this kingdom and give them hope and fill their emptiness and help them realize there's more to this life than just the emptiness of the world. If you're a great artist, start drawing Christian books. If you're a good writer, start writing Christian plays. If you're a great musician, start writing Christian music. Don't wait on the world to change and be like us because they're not going to. We have to do our job and not expect them to do it for us. Here's the last thing. Let's get to it real quick. Choose loyalty to the church above all other earthly loyalty. And I've got in parentheses on my notes, choose loyalty to the church, each other, the kingdom. Because I don't want you to think that I'm just talking about what we're doing right now. Okay, When I talk about the church, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about the church as it's talked about in Scripture, not going to church as we use in our kind of church vernacular. vernacular. But look at what he says here as we wrap up this particular section. He says, now that you have purified yourselves, okay, you've gone through this process, you've been made holy, okay, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Stop right there and understand what he's telling him. He's saying, I understand that what you already have, what you already have is a sincere love for each other. But he's going to challenge them and he's going to say, love one another deeply. Love each other more. Take it to the next level. You love each other great. Love each other more from the heart. Don't let it be a surface thing. Don't let it be something that's just about what benefits you the most. Listen, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should always be there for each other. We should always want what's best for each other. We should always support each other in good and positive endeavors. I'm going to tell you, I've got a picture, and I meant to put it in here, but, but I forgot to. But I've got a picture, and, and this is a simple illustration of this, but I've got a picture from last baseball season. At one of Vance's games, we had 15 people from church show up and watch Vance play that night. Fifteen people from church showed up and watched Vance play that night. And my father-in-law came that night and watched, and he was blown away at the people from church that just showed up to watch Vance play baseball for an hour and a half in 100-degree weather. Blew him away. And it meant a lot to me because it was this being lived out. 
What if we all supported each other in our positive endeavors in that way, but even more, and from the heart, every single opportunity that we had? What if people knew how much we loved God by how much we loved each other? Wait a second. Doesn't Jesus say that? Doesn't Jesus say they're going to know who you are by how you love what? One another. So let's make sure that we're devoted to each other, that we're committed to each other, that we're supporting each other, that we're not trying to tear each other down, that we're not trying to tear you down so that I can be built up, or I'm not holding a grudge so I'm going to try to tear you. No, 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 no. This is what he says we do to each other. You love each other, great. Love each other more. Love each other more deeply. The flip side of that is this. Make sure you're living your life in a way that I can support you, okay? Make sure you're living your life in a way that I can support you. I don't want to go into the place that I'm going to support you and then someone be like, you're here for David Albright? Wait, David Albright goes to church with you? You ever had that moment happen in life? Hey, yeah, you know, yeah, so-and-so, yeah, they go to church. They go to church? You know, and we're all about love and grace and move. But make sure you're living your life in a way that when I come to support, when I come to love, it's not going to surprise anybody. Make sure that you're living your life in a direction that I can love you, that I can support you, that I can live this life the way that I'm supposed to live it. What does that bring us to? That brings us to the end, doesn't it? Set apart. Living in this world is not easy. Living countercultural in this world is not easy because so many things in this world look so good. They look so great. They look like they're worthy of our time. They feel like they're worthy of our time. They feel like they need to be a part of who we are. Hold those things up to that holiness test. Of Philippians chapter 4. Understand that this world is not my home. We sing that song all the time. One of my favorite songs. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But do we mean it? Or are we just singing it because it sounds pretty? Because Peter tells us in the next book, there's coming a time where we're really going home. We're really going to go home for the last time and forever. And to get there, you have to live this holy life. You have to live set apart. And it's so important, especially in our society today, that as a church, we bind together and we live this life with each other every single day. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the chance to just be in your presence. We thank you so much for the opportunity to open up this book of 1 Peter and, and read and be encouraged and be challenged. God, living set apart from the world is not easy. It's counter to what we want to do so many times. Paul talks about it. What he wants to do, he can't do. And what he doesn't want to do, he does. And we understand that. So we live it every day. Help us to find strength in you. Help us to trust in your spirit, to focus on your son so that we can live a holy life. Help us to be holy, just like you are holy, God. In your son's name we pray, amen.
If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Is inspired.